Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Here in New York, joining us is Steve Englander, Standard Chartered Bank Global Head of FX. Steve, great to have you with us. We'll get to the Federal Reserve in just a moment. A comment on the Bank of England. The vote is 9-0 to keep rates unchanged, but it's about the projection and the signal that more than one hike would be needed to keep inflation in check. Does that make sense to you? Well, you know, the inflation numbers are actually pretty good. You know, wages are are trending up, but kind of on a very shallow level. I, I think that most Analysts would would argue that the UK could raise rates a little bit, but this is so conditional on how the Brexit story uh, plays out that it's not really uh, operational on any relevant time horizon. Raising a growth forecast for 2019, 2020, 2021, sees excess demand in three years rising more than previously, sees a small margin of excess supply in the economy now. Sterling was positive off the back of all of this. It's just turned negative once again. So if you're trying to keep up to speed, I'm struggling too. Cable, 130.43, and now just a little bit softer on the session. The Bank of England news conference will begin at about 30 minutes time. We'll try and bring you some highlights of that when it begins with Governor Carney at the bottom of this hour. Steve, we've got to talk about the Federal Reserve. Soft inflation is transitory. Was that a policy mistake? It may not. Well, it may not be a correct statement. I mean, I, I think he tries to do policy as best he can. Uh, the inflation, uh, the Fed's in, inflation forecasting record isn't brilliant. And when you look at, you know, even when you analyze the, you know, the shocks that are coming to core inflation, they all seem to be concentrated on the downside. So even if they're transitory, if they're all transitory downwards, we end up with weaker ex- inflation for an extended period. The market didn't buy it. The um, inflation expectations actually went down. They didn't buy the the transitory story. Inflation expectations actually went down during the FOMC and have stayed down. This is what I didn't understand about the statement from the Federal Reserve Chairman yesterday. If that was the view of the committee, why wasn't it formalized in the statement? They may have thought that the in the second paragraph, the repetition of their confidence that the economy was fine and that they would eventually get to two would be enough. But I, I think that they would have saved a lot of unnecessary volatility had they inserted a, you know, a, a couple of words like, you know, low inflation, possibly transitory um, in, in the statement. I, I think the combination of the reduction of the IOER and the flat out statement uh, was what push the market to take the dovish interpretation initially. To talk to the two of you, Stephen Engler and Jerome Schneider of PIMCO with us here in a bit, as well as a real joy. And and what I love about you guys is you're on the x-axis. Now, we all know yesterday Chairman Powell begged the markets to extend their view, to get out from September and December and try to get out to December and even into 2020. How do you at Standard Charter adjust your vision your guesses, your gambles, your speculations, if you've got a Fed that's extending out the timeline? Well, the first question you ask is, do you have any new information on, on inflation? The answer is between you know 1 p.m. and 5 p.m. There was no new information except the Powell forecast. And again, the Fed's forecast of inflation, uh, you know, about as good as the markets. Then, then you ask the question, does that mean that the reaction function is changing? Right. And it seems to me that there have been enough comments and concerns that says that, look, if, if the forecast turns out to be wrong and that we end up with 1.6, 1.7 core inflation six months from now, 
plus the commitment that seems to be coming to make up for undershoots, there will be a lot of pressure for rates to go down. I mean, our forecast is flat rates as far as the eye can see, but I, I think that the combination of, you know, low inflation and low core inflation and the shift in, in the targeting methodology right. <clears throat> could lead to a slow set of cuts. You and I have talked about this a million times and that the culture of bankers is they all live in fear of doing the Japanese, which is over a decade ago, Japan guessed wrong on the dynamic. Is what we observed yesterday just about they're petrified of getting the call wrong? Well, there's still, I, I think a lot of, at people at the Fed still see the Phillips curve. And, and part of it is, is that they're uncertain about what the trend in the economy is. If, if we end up in six months with the unemployment rate at say three and a quarter, uh, you know, they're, they're probably not going to cut because they're gonna say, look, you know, even if uh, Phillips curve is flat, we're sliding down. If inflation is one seven yeah. and the unemployment rate's three eight, they might say, eh, you know, there, there's a case for it. Steve, we talked about this yesterday. The problem with the Fed right now is not whether they're data dependent, it's how they're dependent on the data. And I still don't get it. If you had all the secrets, if we had all the secrets, and this is what we said yesterday, if you knew what every single data point would be for the US economy, for the global economy through the rest of this year, you still wouldn't know with any accuracy what this Federal Reserve Chairman's gonna do. We don't understand the reaction function. Isn't that a problem? Well, I, I think the problem is that the uh, reaction function that the Fed thought it would have doesn't seem to be valid. The the old style Taylor rule, Phillips curve, you put them together, you, you know exactly what the Fed's gonna do. I, I think to Powell's credit, he's questioned this U-star, R-star methodology that the Fed was adhering to and saying, look, the numbers aren't, aren't suggesting that that's right. And so I think, you know, he may have, tr the committee may not be there, there's still hawks there. But I think that the they're right. moving away from that uh, Yellen style of And what he just behavior. said about John Williams and R-star is exactly what the President of the United States is saying. The President's saying, wait a minute, this is not what we're seeing. That's what President Trump is. So we've seen this time and time again. The chairman comes out, says something, everyone walks away a little bit confused, and then Rich Clarida, the vice chairman, comes out the following day and tries to clean some of this up. He speaks tomorrow. A load of Fed speakers come up tomorrow. What are you looking to hear from them, Steve? You know, Powell at the press conference is speaking for the committee. Should be. So, and so he, he has to balance both the hawkish and, and the, the dovish wings. When Rich Clarida is speaking tomorrow, he's speaking for himself. He's very influential. And he, he may be sort of giving guidance as to how the committee yeah. is shifting and may end up being more dovish. It's, he'll be solid because his key word has been solid. Well, also, it's a solid economy. But it has been a solid economy. But we've spent the last three months listening to Fed speakers carefully curate this message about oh, below like target that. inflation, nice. a symmetrical inflation target, perhaps allowing for an overshoot. And then you have the Federal Reserve chairman come out in a news conference. Perhaps he wanted to wind in rate cut bets. If he did, okay, that's fine. I get all of that. But to be so definitive about inflation and soft inflation being transitory, that for me doesn't add up when I think about the communication effort of the last three months. I, I, I think his fear is, is that the, the market will start pricing in rate cuts next month, two right. months from now. And that, you know, e even if, if inflation is soft on trend, it'll take us another six months, nine months to figure that out. And I think oh. he, he does want to push that discussion out further. Stephen Engler. We all have some sympathy with that view, we, we do. Stephen Engler, thank you so much. The Thanks, Senator Charter Bank. Always I a pleasure. love how you use one of my hated words. I hate the word curate.
Okay, there's 47 emails in. Why haven't I talked about Barcelona, Liverpool? Folks, we'll get to it in a minute. Pharaoh's a genius. Okay, let's move on. The reason we haven't gotten to Barcelona, Liverpool yet is because we had Stephen Englander in, who is worshipped on Wall Street for cross-rate analysis, and then we double-barrel it with Jerome Schneider of PIMCO, who owns short-term paper, and listened very carefully to the X-axis yesterday in Chairman Powell. The, li- the Lionel Messi of short-term portfolio management, isn't he? I think, I think so. Did you see how that ball curved? It was amazing. Why don't they do that more often? Because it's so difficult to oh, do, stop. Tom. I They're mean, not robots. You look, at the NHL, you come down the ice, you shoot the puck, and, you know, if it gets a goal, great. They should shoot more in football. Okay. Talk to Jerome. Pimp coach Jerome Schneider joining us now. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Jerome, Fed rate cut bets. How much of a beating did they take in the last 24 hours? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you have to look at where the starting point is. And, and I think... Uh, you know, when you wake up this morning, it's obviously a little bit different than yesterday morning um, from the perspective of we're still focused on potential for rate cuts. We're still biased toward a very dovish reaction function from the Fed, although less reactive or less less dovish than we once were. So to call it hawkish isn't necessarily the right context. I just think you have to look at the starting point to do that. And, and that, for me, is really the bias. We still at PIMCO believe that the likelihood of, of a healing process of growth trajectories, financial conditions being easing, the response function of the Fed will lead toward growth patterns and inflation potentially edging higher later this year and early next year. But that response function from the Fed is going to be relatively deliberate and slow. Um, ultimately, what that means is, you know, we probably believe more likely than not, if you're betting, that the next move is higher rather than lower in terms of a rate uh, trajectory from the Fed. And, and you heard that yesterday, um, justified by his use of the Dallas trimmed mean, probably the uh, the three biggest words that no one had ever heard of before, <laughs> at least in, 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 in much of the academic uh, and economic world. But ultimately, when, when you look at it, he gave one sp- one pronounced statement, pal, that is, and they said basically that there would be considerable advance notice to ensure that there was a smooth process in place before they made any changes to the downside trajectory and to the upside trajectory. And, and to me, that means that they're not going to be that concerned if inflation remains uh, over a quarter or so at 1.5 or 1.6. Um, they'll, it'll be on their radar, clearly, but it's not going to be eliciting a reaction function of a rate cut. And so what we've basically seen is the market react to that Pretty, pretty pronounced uh, you know, dissertation at that point. The time. debate around the Federal Reserve's next move is probably the most polarized it has been for a long, long time. Up or down, hike or cut. Is that healthy, Jerome? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you have to put it in the context of why you're having the debate. And you have to be comfortable in the sense that growth in the U.S. continues to be the bright light around the world in terms of where things are headed. Um, Is is a 2% growth rate uh, astounding? Definitely not. But is a 2% growth rate nice in a relative context? Yes. And and so the U.S., the dollar, the other, you know, the dollar, the equity markets will benefit from that, especially with with the posture of the Fed being patient over the foreseeable future. So the debate is healthy. I think what is unhealthy, though, is two things. One, the sense of volatility, low volatility that we've created in the marketplace. And as it, whenever you see volatility, you want to do two things. Either A, you want to have protection because there's high volatility, or two, if there's relatively low volatility, you want to basically yeah. buy, buy protection when it's cheap. And for that right now is really think about the world as an opportunistic place where you really have to justify taking risk at this point in time. So being prudent right. about the risk you take is, is important. Well, Mr. Paul was prudent yesterday, and we see that with markets that didn't go tantrum-like. As John Farrell mentions, this is all the Hoover Institute. I've been out to their conference 
conference many, many times. Michael McKee out there. We've got Evans in Stockholm. And then Clarido, Williams, Bowman, Bullard, Daly, Kaplan, Mester, all lining up in Stanford to talk to uh, John Taylor's soiree at the Hoover Institute. How close are we to a tantrum? One of these people is going to step up and say, we're not cutting rates, we're going higher. What will be the bond and equity market reactions? Um, I, I would put this in the context of we, central bankers, specifically Powell, has learned his lesson about being too communicative. Agreed. What about and, the others? And, and the more important thing is Clarida, since he joined as the vice chairman, has done very much important of, of basically creating a more concise message about what they're looking at. So the cacophony of other communicators is, is actually, it's, it's been a chorus, more or less, of, of focusing on inflation. So the discussion is, what is the inflation reaction function? So we are term? less likely to have a tantrum, given I, I, the communication I, I, model. I think that my take is that there's less likely to have a tantrum from the communication model. Um, and he used, frankly, he used his pot podium yesterday to, to do to do just that, yeah. is to try to communicate, which is the purpose of going to eight uh, eight press conferences a year during the Fed. But I think it's actually probably going to come from a, some type of event, whether it's a credit event, extraneous event, yeah. Brexit, Italy, yeah. something like that, which which ends up upsetting the markets. It's quite possible that people take the mantra of you know you know sell in May and go away, and, and it could be it could be a long summer. Do now, they do that in the bond market? We definitely do not do that in bond market. My wake up, my alarm clock still goes off at three a.m. every morning, sir. So <laughs> there's no there's no change in that. But I would say that being prudent along these roads is, is important. Okay. Hey, Jerome, thank you. Pleased to say that joining us on the phone is someone that used to sit on the MPC, Dartmouth's Danny Blanchflower. Oh, wonderful. I did not know Joining the conversation. This. Danny, good morning to you. To make it really, really simple, Danny just doesn't think we're at full employment. So let's bring Danny in. That's essentially your view, isn't it, Danny? Right. And it's been my view for quite a long time. Um, and I think this, the, the major error central banks have made is to think that we're anywhere close to full employment. If we were... We'd be seeing wage growth as we did in the past in the 4 to 5% range, and we're not. Um, and what's happened is central banks have had to kind of get their acts together, and all the time they keep lowering the expectation of how low unemployment can go without a big set of wage increases. So I think still both from the UK and the US are still in a position where they're still quite a long way from full employment. And if you look at the NPC's inflation report today, they've lowered the prospect of what unemployment can be. So there's the big error. That's why there's no inflation. And actually, we should have this interesting sort of disconnect. And Tom just talked about the disconnect, which is that inflation in the UK and in the US, basically below target, wage growth picking up, and absolutely no sign of inflation picking up. And I've been on this program with you guys for probably 10 years and I've been hearing every time inflation is going to rise. And Blanche Farrell always says, no, it isn't. Well, Labor Danny, market slack is huge. The narrow is much lower than you think. Yeah. And a lot of the slack comes within firms. So I think the disconnect and the discussion, I mean, the, the idea that suddenly the Fed's going <clears> to <throat> excuse me, have to raise rates because inflation is going to pick off. Well, good luck with that one. When have I heard that? Before? Well, let's take your days. month in the last 10 years. Danny, At let's take your days at the MPC and put you on Sorry, the FOMC if we can, and talk about the yeah. United States specifically. Sure. When the chairman of the Federal Reserve turns around and says that the current soft period of inflation is transitory, what would you see, say back to him in those committee meetings? 
Well, you've made this forecast the same thing for the last 10 years, saying that it's transitory and it's coming. Um, so you're, the market actually doesn't sort of seem to believe you, and I don't believe you. Um, and you raised rates in 2017 and 18 based upon no, no real-world data whatsoever, entirely based on your forecast of coming inflation. <coughs> Excuse me. And so that error meant eventually you had to go on hold. So the market doesn't really believe Powell saying that. They look back and see how poor the forecasts have been. And then we'll see what's coming. But I think that the, the market doesn't believe that because they've, they've heard the same thing over and over and over again. And still there's no inflation. David, if you go back to your classic, the wage curve, technology overlay at that time was totally different than now. You've been one who's been incredibly courageous about saying, here's the data, but here's the society we're living in. Do all the gurus, do all the the pundits, do all the frankly well-meaning public servants, do they just simply misjudge the societal and cultural effects on our incomes and on our wages? Well, there's a couple. There's a couple of shocks going on. Obviously, there's a technological shock, and, we're not in a, and everywhere we go, we think about the potential that robots are coming to replace workers. But essentially, what we saw was this giant shock on top of rising global forces. And so, what that meant is the world changed. I mean, I think if you go back to, com- to Val's comments, in a sense, the, the FOMC and others haven't realised the world changed in 2008. The economy is not going to bounce back to pre-recession levels as it did because globalization continues, um, technological change is coming, uh, and right. coming fast. Uh, and, and what happens within organizations, firms don't have to pay I, I, as much as they did in the past. Workers' bargaining power is weakened, and inflation isn't going to come right. bounding back because of global things. John, the Sikorsky was down today. I had to take an Uber. I'm sorry, you talked to the guys driving the cars in this acclaimed gig economy. Guess what, John? It ain't happening. That's the message from them. Can we get back to the Carl Riccadonna call? Please. Which essentially Carl's Absolutely. view. Absolutely. Carl's view is that wages are picking up and that that will feed into costs elsewhere because the biggest input cost that a company has is its labor force. And therefore, what you're going to see is a rise in general prices. Danny, what do you say back to that argument? Well, at some point, that will be true. But actually, at some point, that will be true. At some point, the economy will get essentially to the narrow and we'll see some of that pick up, but we ain't seen it yet. One of the other things we saw in a big message at that press conference today was we're seeing substitution within firms. They're taking on workers. They're not investing, which we're seeing a change in the balance of labor and capital, not least because in a way now it's, it's a temporary thing. You can shed labor if you need to. Workers' bargaining power still remains weak. It will get much stronger as we move closer to full employment, but we're not there yet. So I I don't buy it. I don't buy the claim that suddenly this is all going to start feeding through. At some point it will. But think about for the last five years, every single time the central banks have said it, they've been wrong and had to lower their estimates. So we're on the same path. And I think the NERU is probably somewhere under 3%. um, the Fed had it at four and a half, and every every time we see a forecast, they've had to lower it. You used so, to have allies you know, on the Federal point, Reserve, Danny. Not yet. You used to have allies on the Fed, like Naranya Kochilakota. Do you have allies that think the same way you do on the FOMC right now? Well, look, 
Kari, to some extent, has been right. But I think the story, why your question is a really good one, if you go back to look at, say, the December 2018 Fed rate rise, it was clearly wrong. It was clearly an error. And it was and it was unanimous. And the same thing with the Bank of England's last rate rise. So, you know, I think the answer is that they, they, we're now back in groupthink again. Um, it doesn't appear that people actually seem to yeah. know what's going on in the U.S. economy. David, they're focused on forecasts, which have been terrible. We've got to let you go, but I've got to ask, and I, I don't want you to get out your crystal ball right now. I want <laughs> you to get out your crystal palace. I mean, Cardiff <laughs> faces relegation. Bobby Reed is yes. not Messi of Barcelona. Would you explain to our global audience the importance <laughs> of this crystal palace Cardiff game so you don't go down to the league below? Well, Cardiff is, I'm afraid, um, lost at the weekend to Fulham. We have a couple of games to go, but I think in the end it'll come down to my team will go down unless they can beat Manchester United. And I think the chances of that are um, are even lower than the chance that inflation is going to take off. There we go. It's folded right into that. That's a headlineable line there. They need Brighton to drop some points. Really? Yeah, but in fact, we need Brighton to lose everything and we go beat Crystal Palace and then at least draw against Manchester right. They need Brighton to lose to Arsenal. I can see weekend. the Bloomberg. It's a big yeah. ask. I can see the Bloomberg red headline, the acclaimed famous Bloomberg headline. Blanche Flowers says Cardiff and inflation. Hey, maybe linked. Brighton Brighton beats Arsenal, and you know Danny gets it done. But I think it's very unlikely that Brighton beats Arsenal this weekend. Yeah, but they've got a better goal average, so we've got to do better. What have we wrought? You opened this. I mean, like Danny I, and I, I could have I, talked offline I, about this. There's nothing offline with Blanche Flower. I learned that a long, uh, long time ago. Professor, thank you so much. Can't Thanks, say Danny. Enough about his recent academic research on from the classic and the wage curve. Really asking whether you agree or disagree with Professor Blanche Flower. It is thought-provoking research on the state of the American uh, labor economy. In our analysis of all Fed, not front and center, but tangential, was the pickup in the productivity, the efficiency of the United States of America's economy. Sarah House with us with Wells Fargo, who looks at these things. Sarah, productivity is an amazingly squishy thing of the dynamics of capital, the dynamics of this strange labor market, and there's a jumble of everything else as well. I'm looking at the moving averages here, and I got to admit, off the mat in the end of 2017, there's a little life in productivity. Do you agree? Yeah, I'd say we have seen a, a rebound over the past year or so. I think you don't want to put too much emphasis on on any singular quarter. I think it's a, a little bit of an yeah. identity too. But you know, as you indicate, smoothing through some of those quarterly fluctuations, we have seen a pickup in, in productivity, and that's been an important outlet for some of the wage pressures that that we've seen in terms of labor compensation rising with the tight labor market, and why we're still not seeing much inflation. With productivity, and folks, this is truly in economics, the the horse and the cart question. Does the economy get better and productivity goes up, or does productivity go up and the economy get better? Which is it? I think it's 
it's uh, it's <laughs> it can be it can be either. Um, when we see productivity and improve, I think that certainly helps in terms of of real wages, and that helps in in terms of of your spending power and and your overall potential rate of growth. Um, but I think in in many ways this the productivity story is is an underlying driver, and it's it's been on the back burner more recently. Sarah, looking ahead to payrolls coming up tomorrow. What are you guys looking for over at Wells Fargo? So we're looking for about 200,000 gains, so a little bit stronger than consensus. I think we've seen some of the, the PMIs, particularly the, the regional Fed services PMIs, indicate a pickup in hiring. We've also seen that with jobless claims having trended lower um, over April, although we did see a, another bounce. Uh, bounce are you, are you, come on, come on. Are you, <laughs> I got to make some news here. Are you saying 300,000? 200,000, 200,000. With a two, Tom. <laughs> oh, I, I, missed, I missed my ears filled. You're yeah, just trying to yeah. make it not, sound not, more emphatic. Not quite, the, not quite the news, but I think um, that pickup in, in April probably won't be sustained. Um, we'll still probably see some slowing on trend given some of the, the softer readings we've seen in things like temporary hiring, um, as well as some uh, some moderation in terms of, of the job openings and, and hiring plans. So still looking yeah. like the labor market's very strong, but the pace of improvement, I think we are beginning to see slow. So rate cut bets took a bit of a beating from Chairman Powell. Crushed. If payrolls comes out the way you anticipate, Sarah, do you expect that to continue that move? I think the payrolls have really been taking a, a back burner to some of the inflation data. So from that respect, I think average hourly earnings will in many ways garner even more attention. We're looking for yeah. only 0.2% tomorrow. That's in part due to calendar quirks. Right. I think the trend is is still upward. Um, yeah. But bottom line, this comes to, well, how does that end up feeding through to inflation? And, and again, given those strong productivity numbers, right. we're just not seeing those those wage pressures really translating yeah, I, into inflation. That insight is so important, folks. Sometimes it's all about the jobs reports sometimes inflation it shifts you know not on a weekly monthly basis but over time it can shift sarah house with us uh, with wells fargo thanks for listening to the bloomberg surveillance podcast subscribe and listen to interviews on apple podcasts soundcloud or whichever podcast platform you prefer i'm on twitter at tom keen before the podcast you can always catch us worldwide i'm bloomberg radio